because as it's a, uh, a, it responds to market forces, um, it definitely reflects and is used as a bit of a, a bellwether for um, the forecast for the Australian economy, both on the external and internal side. Toby, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, Head of Global Markets. That's the City General Australia. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. A final look at the markets for this week. First of all, in Australia, the ASX 200 has slipped about a third of a percent. Over in Japan, stocks also trading to the downside there as well. The Nikkei 225 is off about a quarter of a percent. Uh, similar story in South Korea, where the Cosby is down about 0.4% right now. And looks like the Hang Seng is going to lose about 100 points at the open. Uh, and will start at around about 26,100 when trading gets going. In the commodities markets, of course, a lot of focus on gold right now, which is close to uh, a nine-year high. It's slipping a little bit in Asian trading right now. It's at $1,803 an ounce. Brent crude oil is trading at $42.54 a barrel. And the US dollar is at 107.2 against the Japanese yen. And that's it from me this week. Do have a great weekend. Do please join me again on Monday morning at 8 o'clock. Back chat with Hugh Chiverton and Danny Gittings is coming up after the news. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy and hot with sunny periods. The maximum temperature about 32 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. And the outlook is for it to be mainly fine, apart from isolated showers in the next few days. And it's going to be very hot over the weekend. The temperature right now, 30 degrees, 76% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half, here's Samantha Butler with the Half Hour News. A prominent virologist says the government must be vigorous to try to contain a local outbreak of the coronavirus as fast as possible. Malik Peris from the University of Hong Kong says the resurgence of local cases is extremely worrying, especially as there are a number of different clusters, including one involving taxi drivers, where t- tracing passengers is challenging. Professor Peris told RTHK that people in taxis should keep the windows open to allow for better ventilation and warned that socialising without a face mask was a great risk. We should be as vigorous as possible to contain this as fast as possible because the sooner we get the case numbers down, we can again think about getting back a bit closer to normal again. But I must emphasize that there is no normal uh, getting back to normal per se for a long time to come because essentially this virus is around as long as it's present anywhere in the world, everywhere in the world is threatened. From tomorrow, eateries will have to cut capacity by 40% with no more than eight people at each table and four people per table in bars and clubs. The United States has announced sanctions against mainland politicians in Xinjiang, saying they're responsible for human rights violations against Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities. Here's the BBC's Michael Bristow. The sanctions target any U.S.-based financial interests belonging to Xinjiang's Communist Party boss, Chen Chengguo, who's also a member of China's Politburo. He was previously in charge in Tibet, where he brought in similar tough policies of control. Three other Chinese officials and Xinjiang's police department have also been sanctioned. Washington said it wanted to punish those responsible for human rights abuses against Muslim minorities in Xinjiang. China's sought to have detained hundreds of thousands of people there, most of them ethnic Uyghurs, in re-education camps. 
President Trump has reacted angrily to a ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court that New York prosecutors can have access to his financial records. Mr. Trump said he was the victim of a political witch hunt. The court made clear that he wasn't immune from criminal investigations. But the judges didn't rule in favour of Democrats in Congress who also wanted access to the president's tax returns. Here's the BBC's John Sopel. The legal side of this is that Donald Trump was defeated today in the Supreme Court. He had asserted that he had absolute immunity and that he could not be investigated all the time that he remained in office. The Supreme Court rejected that and they said no man is above the law. The courts in New York can have access to his files. The courts also said, though, that Donald Trump could challenge various aspects. That kicks it into the long grass with legal arguments. So what's happened today is that he's had a legal loss and possibly a political win. The Supreme Court reached its decisions by a majority of 7-2, to two, with both President Trump's appointees siding with the majority, despite their reputation as staunch conservatives. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chewett and your co-host today, Danny Gettings. Danny, good morning to you. Good morning. And it's back to the NFL today. Australia has said it's going to suspend extradition arrangements with Hong Kong uh, from today and also give 10,000 Hong Kongers with visas a path to permanent residency there. And the Secretary for Constitutional and Mainland Affairs has said in an interview that the primaries planned by Pan-Democrats this weekend could constitute secession and or collusion with external forces to endanger national security under the new law. The organisers have denied that claim. So how is the NSL and its enforcement and application developing? Is it affecting only a few or is it affecting the many? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk or you can give us a call and our telephone number is 233-88266. That's the preferred option. Give us a call. Uh, it sounds good on radio. 233-88266 is the uh, place to do it. Uh, and once again, our Facebook page is Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, an email uh, from uh, Alan uh, with the subject line, what do I think? Question mark. Backchat, you ask, will the new security agency help to restore order in society? Will it also have an impact on human rights and press freedom? Alan says it won't restore order. It will impose a new order of a paranoid and xenophobic police state on what was a partly democratic international society. It will trash human rights and press freedom. That has already started. Whether the resistance is passive or becomes violent remains to be seen. Hong Kong came back after the Japanese occupation. I hope it can survive the reign of Xi. That comes uh, from Alan. Thank you very much indeed. Backchat.rthk.hk uh, is our email address if you agree or disagree with anything you, you hear on the programme or anything else that's uh, germane to the topic. Of course, we welcome your comments. Just to explain about the, about the, the, the policy, uh, the uh, privacy policy, by the way, uh, on the uh, Backchat uh, uh, email, uh, we will uh, remove uh, as, as best as we know how, which is probably uh, not very far. Uh, we, but we will delete uh, any emails to uh, Backchat, uh, I think, uh, a week uh, after um, they've been on air. There's no reason particularly why, why we should keep them. We also delete them from our, from, our, from our trash. So as far as we know, we're kind of deleting them from our servers. They may be around somewhere, uh, as I say. So that's the attitude for Backchat. And then, uh, uh, again, when it comes to uh, Backchat, because, um, frankly, a lot of people do have... Um, uh, 
concerns now about um, security and, and so on and confidentiality. Um, uh, I, I would just say that um, we accept emails, we accept any comments from wherever. There's a there's a, a, a group of like-minded individuals for a while who've been using anonymizing uh, email uh, servers, uh, email providers, um, and they're, they're quite welcome to do that. Anyone is welcome to email under any name um, uh, using any kind of, um, you know, as I say, software um, that you choose. There's no limitation on that. The only, quest, the only thing I request is, is, as I said before, is please don't do it under multiple names because I think that's misleading. Um, but if you are, who, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you've got a view, um, that's the point of this program, that you can, you can uh, put it to us. And uh, if it's uh, relevant and not abusive and not too long and all those kind of things, uh, we'll share it. And then we can have a good old chat. So um, that's the idea of the program. And uh, let's hope we can continue to do that. We're joined uh, for the programme this morning by uh, Sharon Fast. Sharon Fast is the Deputy Director of the Master of Journalism programme at the University of Hong Kong's uh, Journalism and Media Studies Centre um, and also a lecturer there. And we're also joined by Andrew Leung. Who, in, Andrew Leung is an international and independent China strategist and was a former Director General of Social Welfare. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Um, Sharon, Sh- uh, Sharon Fast, let's, let's go to you first. Now, you, you just heard, heard Hugh talking about the um, uh, people having concern, uh, confidentiality concerns and the deletion of emails coming into the show. Um, earlier this week, we had uh, another co-host um, uh, resigning from Backchat because saying she's worried about national security law. And um, there have been several reports of columnists um, pulling out of, um, of, of Apple Daily over the past week. I mean, how much more of this kind of thing is going on, as far as you're aware? Yeah. Um, good morning, Danny. So- yeah. Uh, you know, it's an interesting scenario, we, what we're dealing with in Hong Kong. We, you know, Hong Kong is on the front line of this very ambitious and systemic effort, really, to restrain, if not fully eliminate, you know, uh, expressions that are sort of deemed threatening to, uh, I would say, the world, world's largest ruling party, but I think you need to fact-check me on that, because I think the JNP would disagree with, with that accolade. So it's a story that you really think would send a journalist, I guess, running into the burning building, for lack of a better expression. And what we're seeing instead is um, a lot of fear. We're seeing uh, columnists disappearing from newspapers, resigning. We're seeing um, activists and artists disappearing from Twitter. We're seeing, um, you know, uh, a lot of pullout, a lot of self-censorship. And I I think it's very concerning. It's, It's, you know... Although the law is not retroactive, what we see is people's behavior. It's a very concern that anything that was on social media or has been on social media will be used to support. And I think we had government officials making this comment as well, saying, you know, maybe you only have a flag in your backpack, but, you know, if we, if we go through your social media, we will see that we can, we can use that to, uh, to argue in court that you had an intent to commit one of these offenses. So it's concerning, and there are voices that are disappearing, and it's an attempt to kind of erase um, or at least restrict that kind of collective experience and trauma that Hong Kong has been through in the past year. But the examples cited so far, we're not talking about professional full-time journalists here. People who write columns tend to, I mean, tend, or, or, or backchat co-hosts for that matter, tend to have other jobs, and this is just something they do on the side. How, how about those whose actually their full-time career is as journalists? Um, you know, I think this generation of journalists is going to know and experience challenges to free expression um, like like no other, right? Um, 
for, for those who practice journalism right now, there is a great deal of uncertainty. And whether you're a local journalist or uh, a foreign correspondent in Hong Kong, you, you are at the receiving end of this very ambitious law. So for those who practice journalists right now, I think, you know, if you, if you are, you know, reporting, uh, you know, on, on something that's ha an ongoing case, so, so you're going to the courts and you're reporting objectively on, on, on things that are happening with the law, um, then you might not find yourself uh, under any threat. But then you also have to consider we have every day these government press releases telling us, you know, what is an emotional song that is political that, that can't be referred to, uh, what types of slogans are now... Well, not, not quite every day. I think we've, we've had one or maybe two of those statements so far, haven't we, Sharon? Yeah, we've had... I mean, I, I think we'll see more of them coming, and I think they're not persuasive. Um, I also feel that those types of statements really are taking away um, some of the judicial autonomy and, and the independence of the judiciary to discuss, you know, what, where, where are the new red lines, right? I think, you know, if you're a practicing journalist right now and you have a, if you can imagine someone who's a photographer who has a Facebook page with a lot of images of, you know, the types of either slogans or flags or, uh, uh, you know, gatherings of people which, you know, in, in, the, in the year of protests that we've had, then you might want to consider whether you keep those images in your name because there is a possibility under this very broad and uh, ambitious law that you might be considered to, to be deemed as supportive of those efforts, even as an individual who is just covering them in the day-to-day -day course of your work. Uh, and yet, here you are on this program, and here this program is, and people can still comment, and we can still get people who are rude about Xi Jinping, we can read out those comments, we can still have that discussion. And I don't know of any journalists that have been arrested uh, in Hong Kong or, or locked up. Yeah, so far. Uh, we all, you know, I mean, well, yes, so far, we are, yes. <laughs> we also have a duty under Article 10, of course, to um, raise awareness. So, I mean, this is, <laughs> this is potentially our safe space to raise awareness, um, uh, not necessarily promoting, but definitely raising awareness about where the new danger zones are. So, um, yeah, it's good that we can have these talks. Uh, uh, you know, you could argue that still, compared to most places in the world, we're still extremely free in Hong Kong. We're still able to do this kind of, have this kind of conversation, uh, even on a government-owned uh, radio station. It's extraordinary. We can still have the, all those, you know, we can still have Reuters and, and all the and CNN and everyone operating here uh, completely freely uh, and, and saying what they like about us. We're still one of the, in media terms, one of the freest places in the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, I, I don't disagree. And I think, you know, we also see even in mainland China, um, you, you do have the international media bodies that are still operating that, you know, this, this I, I think the feeling among journalists right now is this is kind of the new normal. And so you adapt and you adjust and you figure out, you know, right now concerns about protecting your sources and um, protecting information are, are very paramount to journalists. But you, you can see that even in, uh, you know, even in a place like Beijing, you, you, you still have international foreign correspondents who are doing the reporting. You just have to, you know, consider better protection mechanisms and always try to do that within the comfort of, you know, what is considered lawful, right? So in Thailand, you have laws about leisure just, um, and you learn how to report about those incidents 
in a way that doesn't mm. put you in danger or not to cover those stories within Thailand, but you cover them externally. So um, there, there will be a little bit of uh, adjustment, but I, um, for now, I, I agree there, there's still stories to tell. Like, the, the, this, Hong Kong is a big story, and absent the pandemic, I think you would see many, many foreign journalists you know, clamoring into Hong Kong to cover this kind of story about, you know, challenges to free expression, challenges to the free press. Now, you teach journalism at um, Hong Kong U. I mean, what practical advice would you give to aspiring journalists? I mean, uh, I mean, uh, one thing we're seeing on the, um, a number of media organizations though, just over the past week is when they publish stories, they put underneath, they say, please note that all, um, all the reporting um, records for this story have now been destroyed. And make it clear that they're not available after, even if some, some official came asking for them, they just don't exist. Yeah, I think, I mean, practically speaking, you know, people are going to need to be switching to not just end-to-end encryption, but uh, systems uh, that, that do delete information. I think there's going to be a heightened need to protect sources uh, and to d- destroy information, as you said. I think uh, foreign servers will be useful. Uh, I have seen, uh, you know, even a project that that is, um, you know, a, a curation, for example, of the Lenin Walls and the history of Lenin Walls in Hong Kong, you know, where should that project be situated? Probably not on the server that um, that can be accessed by the Hong Kong police and, and maybe even questioning, um, you know, internal policies on anonymity because I think now um, it's very difficult to get people to speak publicly either about this law or about their views on politics. So, you know, you, as a news organization and as instructors, we now need to think about what are our policies on anonymity? When we teach defamation law, we always tell them one anonymous source is not good enough, right? Uh, now we have to consider, well, you know, how many anonymous sources before we allow this story to, to be treated as, um, you know, as, as being properly and objectively reported on. So those are the kind of minute-by-minute practical things that we need to tell them. And also, you know, um, you know keeping them up to date on the types of, um, you know, images that they capture and, um, and videos that they capture and where to safely place those and whether it's safe to report on those. Andrew Leung, what, what, what do you make of this? And also the phenomenon of a lot of people deleting their social media uh, feeds, a lot of people taking out posts, you know, where they might have been sort of sympathetic towards the protesters last year and, and, and things like that. Uh, how do you read the, the, what's going on? Well, definitely this uh, national security law uh, is a seismic shock um, to um, uh, you know, sort of uh, people, what people have been experiencing with uh, Hong Kong under one country, two systems. So all this um, anxiety, fear, paranoia, uh, understandable. Um, and, and I think at the end of the day, it's really the taste of the puddings and the eating, because there are, after all, as you pointed out, I mean, things have been going largely as before. I mean, with Black Chat and other news channels and still operating as before. But I think it's also part and parcel of a global uh, China scare. Um, a- again, there was a, a great deal of paranoia, um, as the China saying goes, every uh, curved shadow looks like a snake. So you can just, uh, you know, it's reading um, all sorts of things into it. Um, and I think as far as this law is concerned, you've got to understand uh, why Beijing is doing this all of a sudden and so rapidly. Um, I mean, the, the, the rhetoric seems to be, oh, well, Beijing wants to control Hong Kong, but why now? You know, I mean, uh, Hong Kong is 
23 years, and Hong Kong has enjoyed a very high ranking in uh, freedom index um, and in relative um, press freedom. So why now? Why such you know draconian measures? I think uh, the fear in Beijing sorry. is that uh, the fear in Beijing is that very very important. You... It's not just control the um, the media. Uh, but I think at the heart of it all um, is the um, um, uh, the realization that there is a um, global kind of pushback uh, against China as part of, of this uh, great power rivalry between China and the United States, and it's on all fronts. Uh, of course, the uh, press um, press freedom, uh, freedom of speech, human rights, uh, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and technology, trade. I mean, um, South China Sea military, you know, a, a complete uh, pushback, and it is this, and also the the past year uh, of this protest, um, the social movement um, in the eyes of Beijing has been weaponized. The weaponized in the sense that uh, it's been weaponized to foster a sense of of separatism. Uh, or even um, translating into more and more open demands for independence. Uh, now, of course, that's very, very important uh, um, for Beijing. Um, and, 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 and I think it's only to understand this broader picture uh, and, and, and the minds of, of Beijing uh, uh, as to how things are developing that you'll be en- understand why Beijing is doing it and, and adopting these measures at the, at the moment. Yeah, let, let's just get, just, just get this clear. You, just now, you referred to these dr- draconian measures. So you, 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 you agree that uh, this, the uh, content of this law constitutes draconian measures. Those, well, were, your, I mean, those were your words, yeah. Uh, because it's never been done before. I mean, of course... Um, draconian um, means something uh, very strict and... Uh, we can look at a dictionary. It means something very strict and severe um, and well, clearly means restrictions um, on freedoms. When, when you compare... Well, draconian in the sense that um, what is being... Um, uh, all these uh, measures are being put in hand, uh, of course, is uh, draconian in comparison with what has happened before in Hong Kong. But then if you compare these measures with uh, national security measures in other countries, um, not least in the United States. I mean, the United States have got tens of, uh, of, of uh, dozens of, of laws uh, on national security. The Patriot Act, for example, um, and of course other countries, including UK um, and Australia and, and, other, uh, and other places. So national security is extremely important. Uh, but if you look at what is happening, um, at the, these measures in Hong Kong, they're not necessarily more draconian than other um, provisions in other countries. Well, if they, um, if they, as for I example, said, it, at the end of the day, it, it really translates into uh, how this is uh, put into practice. Let's not forget that there is an equally a great deal of fear and anxiety in the in the, in, the, in the first few months of the handover, or even before before the handover. There was a lot of anxiety and foreboding, a sense of foreboding. And I think that we need a little bit of time, you know, for this fear to um, to either you know, sort of put into context uh, and to see how things are being uh, developing. Um, but I think it's understandable, this kind of anxiety, paranoia, uh, reaction, especially in the, in the, um, um, in, 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 in the press and in, in, in journalists. Uh, I think it's understandable. And the education sector, arguably, as well. I, I mean, I guess um, 
if you compare, for example, with, with, with 1989 and what happened in 1989, and I think that was a massive trauma in, in Hong Kong, and I remember the, the, the sensation uh, well. Um, but uh, then the kind of things healed, uh, and we sort of moved towards um, some kind of reconciliation. Um, I, I wonder if in this case... Um, things are getting worse, that uh, we are learning more and more about the uh, way that this legislation will be used, for example, with, the, with respect to the primaries. Uh, I mean, things which were pretty kind of non-controversial uh, in the past, uh, as I say, the education well, sector, the, the media... Well, it, it uh, actually very appropriate. Well, no, I'm saying it isn't, because I'm saying because now it seems like things are getting worse, and at least after well, 1989, I mean, things seem no to get, be getting better. Well, I mean, as I said, there was no comparison, because 1989, there was no sense of national security. I mean, 1989 is the impact uh, of this kind of what's happening on Tiananmen Square. Um, and, and the feeling, the impact is on Hong Kong. But now the law is, is now was implemented by Beijing, and the fear is on the other side that Hong Kong's the kind of uh, freedoms and so on and so forth have been hijacked and, as I said, weaponized uh, to foster all this sense of separatism and, and increasingly more and more open demands for independence. So it's, com it's, it's quite different. Yeah, I'm just talking about the effect, the mood in Hong Kong. Uh, yeah. I'm saying, you know, there's, as you say, there's a big shock and there's paranoia and, and fear and, and so on. But I'm saying that well, doesn't I, seem I that think that at the end of the day is, is, is uh, really um, an understanding what, what one mm. country, two system uh, is all about. Um, previously, for 23 years, um, I think the Hong Kong people were saying that, OK, well, it's, it's one country is just in name and everything, um, you know, sort of for all these um, 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 uh, kind of privileges, uh, you can just push the envelope, um, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, to the maximum. Uh, but I think that in the eyes of Beijing, one country through the system is a two-way street. Uh, and of course, that there are safeguards uh, in the basic law, Article 23, that still remain um, um, un unresolved. And, and, and that is seen to be a large loophole which is now being weaponized. Okay. So I think that that's, um, it works both ways. And, and I think that the other dimension is that one country, two systems, is, is the two sides are interactive. In other words, if you push the envelope too far to the other side, the other side will push back. But if you um, uh, foster a sense of security on the other side, and then a sense of likelihood that there will be more leeway given to the two systems. Sharon Fast, do you agree? Um, I mean... Uh, you know, I, I think the question that comes to my mind, I mean, there is a mature view that every nation does need a national security law. So I don't think that's a controversial view that we need a national security law. But I think the question is when we look at this instrument, um, you know, this instrument that received no scrutiny, no participation. Um, it's been a long time since Hong Kong has been at the receiving end of, of uh, this type of legislation where there was absolutely no scrutiny or participation by legislative council, by citizens. I don't think we've, you know, experienced this since, um, since Hong Kong was, was a colony, right? Um, you, you know, you think about the necessity for national security law, and then you see this instrument that's being introduced in this uh, very unusual and departure from past practice. And you think, is this really a national security instrument or is it an instrument to preserve the party? And I, there's a lot of indications that this is about preserving a system of governance rather than, you know, preserving the safety uh, of Hong Kong. So that's, 
that's my concern. You know, we started the morning, we made reference to the new Australian uh, comments about Hong Kong. Um, you know, uh, Australia, like Canada, has, has now said they are going to uh, stop their extradition treaties with, with Hong Kong. And then I think that, you know, all of those legislators, I mean, this, this national security law, it captures all types of, of activities, doesn't it? Article 29, subsection 4 says that, you know, those Australian legislators and, and Canadian parliamentarians who have made these decisions are, are, you know, have possibly breached the national security law because they are imposing a type of either sanction or hostile activity against Hong Kong, and Beijing views those activities as hostile. You, you know, even withdrawing from an extradition treaty now can put you in a position where you might not feel confident or comfortable for, to travel to Hong Kong. So... Well, uh, just briefly, um, when we come out to news, would you advise someone to go into journalism in Hong Kong these days? <laughs> would I? I, I mean, I or think would you advise is, against it? I mean, no, I think this is the story of a generation, and I think you know, um, you, you know, that old expression "I'm a journalist, I run into the fire" um, is very true. Um, there's so many stories to tell in Hong Kong. And to be at the forefront of this new frontier for media in Hong Kong, I think it's it's an exceptional time to to enter into the industry. Uh, all you know, I, I will say that uh, most of my students are very very uh, deeply engaged in internships, and um, you know, they're, they're, there's no shortage of work in Hong Kong because the story right now, globally, really, apart from the pandemic, is is Hong Kong and is this new law and the challenges to free press. So those types of stories will will bring lots of lots of stories and lots of good journalists to Hong Kong. So. Okay, well, well can, I, can I just uh, add one? And, and no, no, sorry, add. hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Mr. Long. You got to put put that on pause because uh, we just got a break now for the for the news at nine o'clock. But yeah, we will be back uh, with Andrew Lung, uh, and uh, we say goodbye for the moment to Sharon Fast, Deputy Director of the Master of Journalism Program at uh, the University of Hong Kong, and also uh, uh, a lecturer. Uh, once again, uh, you can contribute. Email us backchat at rthk.hk. Call us on two three three eight eight two six six. Comment on our Facebook page, backchat on rthk uh, radio three. So more discussion, as I say, after the news at nine. Before that, the weather many cloudy and hot with sunny periods. Temperatures today up to about 32 degrees in the urban areas and a bit warmer in the new territories. The outlook mainly fine with some isolated showers in the next few days. Very hot at the weekend. 30 degrees now. Humidity is at 75%. Fuzan Xinjiang's police department have also been sanctioned. Washington said it wanted to punish those responsible for human rights abuses against Muslim minorities in Xinjiang. China's thoughts have detained hundreds of thousands of people there, most of them ethnic Uyghurs, in re-education camps. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Friday morning with Danny Gittings and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking uh, once again about aspects of the uh, new national security legislation. Uh, joining us is Andrew Lung, international and independent China strategist, former director of uh, uh, social welfare in the, in the uh, Hong Kong government. Sharon Fast from the uh, Master of Journalism program at the University of Hong Kong was joining us in the first part of the uh, program. Uh, we want to hear from you. Call us, 233-88266. We'll put you on air. Uh, you can comment on our Facebook page, that's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, or you can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, uh, with your thoughts, and we'll do our best to uh, read out your comments. Uh, Andrew Lung, we cut you off just before the, the news at nine. What was the uh, point you were going well, to make? I just uh, uh, thought about this mm. uh, angle. 
which uh, answers the uh, the kind of uh, worries about um, um, the sudden change of Hong Kong's um, um, uh, position, as it were. Uh, I'm referring to the uh, people in Hong Kong who got Canadian passports. Now, don't don't forget that the uh, before the handover, there was a great deal of people applying for foreign passports, and amongst them, um, the people who got Canadian passports. And and since then. Uh, a lot of the people who have got Canadian passports actually come back to Hong Kong. Now, if they, if they fear um, about Hong Kong, and I think their early fears about Hong Kong was, seemed to be unjustified. Um, so there are now as many as 300,000 uh, Hong Kong people who have got Canadian passports. So I think that, that the point I'm trying to make is that, of course, uh, the initial fear and, and, um, and I, I would say even paranoia is justified, is, is, is understandable. But I think it, it really uh, takes time um, uh, to see how things are developing, how the law is being implemented. Now, the second thing about journalism is that, um, is that well, in spite of all this uh, initial fear, and I think Hong Kong remains to be an exciting spot for journalism worldwide. Why I'm saying this? Because um, I think Hong Kong is um, a famous spy city, um, a city of spies. Uh, why I'm saying this is only about two, um, was it yesterday, the day before yesterday, uh, the Five Eye Alliance, uh, Intelligence Sharing Alliance, was holding a, um, um, uh, a video uh, conference uh, on the national security law. Now, why? Um, obviously, that uh, change of Hong Kong's um, environment uh, impact uh, on the intelligence gathering uh, of the five-eyed um, uh, kind of network, which means that, of course, there are a great deal of going, uh, things going on uh, behind the scenes and then in, um, in, in, in the front line and so on and so forth. And that um, is great copy for journalism. Um, and, of course, at a time when China is now um, um, facing a 360-degree pushback and Hong Kong's right at the, the center of things, uh, in the right in the heart of the Asia-Pacific, uh, the Asia-Pacific is, is, of course, is, is the, the world's most vibrant theater for this great power rivalry. So I think nowhere in the world you can find a spot like that. Uh, I would even say that Hong Kong, in, the, in, in many ways, uh, is the um, Casablanca, of the 21st century. You, you, you're making a distinction between people talking about Hong Kong and whether they actually want to come to Hong Kong now. And we've seen a whole series of um, sinologists who regularly visited Hong Kong in the past saying that they, they're now worried about coming to Hong well, Kong, and especially the extraterritorial, something they could have said or done overseas under this new law. That, that, that can be an offence and they could be arrested for it in Hong Kong. Well, Said uh, uh, right at the beginning, this uh, anxiety, foreboding, um, and if I may say so, paranoia is understandable, uh, and and that adds to the, to the part of the excitement. You're talking about us being an international centre, but if, uh, I mean, of course, it's different at the moment anyway because of COVID-19, but set that aside. I mean, if, um, if, if people feel um, uh, hesitant about coming to Hong Kong, how, how can Hong Kong retain its, its, its international its, its Well, why should people fear um, uh, of coming into Hong Kong uh, if they do not um, uh, 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 commit all these uh, uh, crimes, defying crimes? What, what they do, the what, what they, they do uh, might be quite per perfectly lawful in Canada or in America. I mean, Canada or America, this law is quite clear that um, it can be an offence to have done something in other countries, even if it is lawful in those countries. No, 
I think that uh, if you go against national security, it will be um, um, unlawful uh, in the United States as in Canada. I mean, um, and of course that... Um, if you uh, peacefully you know, advocate Hong Kong independence, that, that, that will not be an offence in America, Canada, or anywhere else in the world. But if you joined a Hong Kong independence rally elsewhere in the world and you came to Hong Kong later, you could, under this new law, it's quite clear, you could be arrested for that because you have participated in Hong Kong in independence activities and it doesn't matter that those were lawful in the country that you participated in. Well, likewise, um, if you um, um, uh, advocate for independence in Cat uh, Catalonia, in Spain, um, and, and even the, the, the top leaders are now in jail, uh, hang on, they, uh, they, I don't think there's any evidence that, uh, that people in other parts of the world talking about Catalonian independence have ever been arrested in Spain. No, there's an analogy there. The analogy... Right. The National security and, and, and sovereignty, um, and ter uh, territorial integrity. All these are very sensitive issues. But I think at the end of the day, as I said, that this is understandable, that anxiety is understandable uh, in, in the way it compares... Um, to what happened um, and to Hong Kong um, at the beginning of the handover. I, I, um, yeah, I think I think the the, the the trouble is. Well, here's an example. Here's an email from Mike, uh, who says your co-host is referring to Backchat. Your co-host that resigned this week. I don't want to embarrass her, but here are my thoughts. Boo! Did I scare you? That was the purpose of the legislation. It's what the CCP does. Kills the chicken, scares the monkey. You can have an opinion if you have no followers and don't propose to overthrow the government and walk harmlessly. You have nothing to fear. If I disappear next week, ah, you can rethink my comments. That comes from Mike. The, 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 the trouble is that um, there are people who consider that the anxiety and the foreboding you refer to are actually the object of the exercise. That, uh, you know, the white terror, the point of the white terror is to make people self-censor and to uh, and the uncertainty and the vagueness in the in, in the legislation its whole purpose is to make people worry and it's achieving that so it's not a question of we you know we'll get over this and then we'll we'll, we'll settle down um, well i think the intention of beijing is not to make everybody worry it's the intention is to make those who are uh, potential well, sort of separatists worry. Well, yeah, course, well, I, I know you say that, right, you say that, but, but you say that, but, the, but, but then we have the Secretary of Constitutional and Mainland Affairs uh, saying that the uh, primaries, which of course have been going on in, in the past for the pan-democratic camp, for the Legislative Council elections, they could be seen as secession, uh, collusion with, with, with foreign forces. This comes from the Secretary, this comes from a, a senior government official. So, I, I mean, mean that, and everyone's going, what? Um, yeah. Scratching their heads. So I'm saying that that's the sort of uncertainty that's the kind of free-floating anxiety which it seems um the 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 law is is producing arguably and well, arguably is intended to produce representation what they said because i heard what they said um they, they said obviously you're quite right i mean that there's a deterrence against um uh, all these um, moves for separatism and independence but they have, they have equally said that it's not against the democratic party and I think that, 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 that and they can continue, of course, the, uh, to oppose the government. And even I heard that the, um, the top leader in, in, in the, uh, the, the liaison office openly saying in a press um, uh, conference, saying that they can continue to criticize the Communist Party. So, you know, I mean, of course, I mean, you don't have to believe what they say uh, right from the start. As I said, as, as the beginning of the handover, um, a lot of the... Um, um, at, 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 the testing is in the eating. Now you, uh, you think things will settle down? I mean, how long do you think... Well, not, not immediately. Yeah, I, that's I what I was going to ask. How long, a, how long a, is a it going to take? Uh, it requires...
has uh, a kind of uh, an interaction on both sides. Uh, and of course, all these um, um, new offices have just been established. Uh, and of course, uh, you can see why that they have chosen the hotel uh, for this very important uh, Beijing office, um, because that it has been reported that some of the even government offices have been wiretapped. As I said, Hong Kong is a, is a very famous spy city. So you've got to understand the anxiety on the other side. But I think that on, uh, it's understandable that the anxiety in Hong Kong people, um, and I think it's a lot of people applying for um, uh, passports, uh, that's all understandable. That's what happened before the, t- uh, the, the, the turn uh, handover. But I think at the end of the day, Beijing really wants one country, two systems to succeed, but succeed in such a way it doesn't threaten national security. And the idea is not to kill all the democratic parties, to kill all the, uh, the, uh, the voices against Beijing. Um, otherwise, they would just ban the, 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 the annual uh, 4th of July virtue uh, and all the, um, um, uh, the, the, the press. And even this, this uh, program would be shut, but it's not. Um, what, what, why should Beijing do it and turn Hong Kong into an even smaller Shanghai? It doesn't do, you, do you think the 4th of June virtue will be allowed next year? It's right opposite. It will be right opposite that new national security office if they're still in the. Um, uh, which one? Uh, the J- June the fourth uh, candlelit vigil. In, well, I uh, think so. Um, well, you can you can just test me next year. Uh, well, unless that this uh, obviously that the, the, there are there are um, um, it's mixed up with 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 a kind of um, uh, movement. Um, uh, 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 which is uh, something like uh, what happened uh, last year. Otherwise, I mean, if, if it happened for the 23 years, uh, why should they stop now? I don't, I don't think it makes sense. Well, because things are changing. I mean, if, the, if people chant a slow... Uh, so, so you're saying you'd be able to, say, end one-party rule in, in China? And, and even this year, it wasn't stopped because of June 4th. Yeah. Really. Um, but the and, point and, of that and, is we, we don't know. Because yeah. because of COVID-19, we don't know whether it would have been allowed if, if there'd been no COVID-19. Yeah, well, as I said, tested the booties in the eating. Yeah. So. All right, so, some more emails. Uh, Jay says, the new law wants to erase the truth so the real truth won't come out about government management. In other words, people covering their backs. Uh, and uh, Andrew Kay says, I think it's with reference to uh, Sharon Fast in the first part of the programme, your current journalist guest is a victim of highly confused thinking. She's exercising a right she claims to have lost. Uh, uh, Jay also says it's not the point of a security law, it's a transparency system we need. So we understand why people have taken certain kinds of action and who dealt with the situation in what way and why. Um, Alan says, your guest Andrew Lung gave us the uh, line that the NSL is no worse than similar security laws overseas. The difference is how national security is defined. In democratic countries, the government cannot use these laws to arrest or harass domestic political opponents or simply people who disrespect the government. In Hong Kong, that is the entire purpose of the law. Under this law, what was done surreptitiously to the Causeway Bay booksellers for publishing gossip about CCP leaders would be entirely legal. That comes uh, from uh, Alan. Tony uh, just says, why is China so insecure? Please discuss. Uh, once again, backchat.rthk.hk is, uh, is our uh, email address. And uh, one more comment. This is from uh, Martin, who says, uh, For balance, I remember when working for RTHK in the 1970s that we were forbidden from mentioning any ongoing negotiations of the future over the future of Hong Kong with mainland Chinese officials. At least one sub-editor was let go 
for sourcing an international wire service on this topic. But those were relatively benign colonial days. Today, the NSL has cast a pall over the entire media, local and international, going far beyond the past. Quite rightly, journalists are worried and will be hopefully careful. But the future for truthful journalism and indeed freedom of speech are now under considerable pressure. That comes uh, from Martin. Uh, Andrew Lung, how about some of those comments from listeners? And in particular, one of the listeners taking issue with you saying that, um, uh, that this, this law is different from national security laws in, in other countries because uh, national security is defined in a very different way. And that uh, in future, I mean, the point is making in future what happened to, or allegedly happened to the Causeway Bay booksellers would be covered by this law. Um, uh, defined in many ways um, uh, in, in terms of the kind of uh, severity of, of punishment um, and, and the kind of uh, uh, object of the law uh, is, is no different from other security laws. I mean, look at the United States, as I said. It's got over a dozen uh, security laws, uh, including the Patriot Act. As, as, but as those are not used to course, arrest people course, who call for well, a change of government, the, are they? The, the CIA and, and also the National Security Agency overrides uh, the, 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 the laws in the various states. So I think that the national security is a very, very sensitive issue in any country. What I'm trying to say is that what uh, prompted this uh, is, the, the, is, is the realization that, that you know, it's Beijing's realization is now being pushed into a corner, as it were. And all, all these freedoms in Hong Kong and, and, and joined under one country, two systems, have now been weaponized uh, to um, foster sense of, of, of separatism uh, and also open, more and more open demands for independence. Um, of course, that, that, uh, one can say, oh, that, that, that's only a, uh, not too many people. But then, um, at the beginning, it was just a journal, uh, a, a, an article in, in, the, in the University of Hong Kong. But what now? You know, you've got flags, you've got um, thro throwing of petrol bombs, um, and increasingly this kind of more into a kind of movement, um, reminiscent of the so-called color revolutions in other countries. And that's what worries Beijing. You referred a couple of times to weaponizing, and you also referred to the weaponizing of social media. So do you think it's legitimate to have controls over what people pu can publish on social media? Well, I think that, that, that Beijing wants to at least have these laws in place. Um, now we can see that there is already a backlash, um, and even, uh, for example, TikTok uh, is now, uh, in Hong Kong, is now you know, just trying to sanitize itself, in spite of the fact that TikTok is a subsidiary uh, of, 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 a, of a Chinese um, a conglomerate, um, which is a bike dance, uh, because the market overseas is much, much bigger. So I think that one has got to look at this uh, on both sides and adopt a big picture kind of understanding uh, and not just, you know, just uh, focusing on one aspect. Uh, I think that a lot of things are interactive. At the end of the day, um, Beijing wants uh, one country, two systems, uh, to act as a, as a leverage um, for its national development, um, for its even bell and road, um, for its um, 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 uh, trade and, and, and kind of international uh, markets. Um, it, turning Hong Kong into just a Shanghai doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the geopolitics because I know that's an area of, of interest of your interest. Um, you know, what, what, what do you make of what's, what's going on? I mean, um, you've got now Australia, you know, stepping in, you've had Canada and you've got the BNOs, you've got uh, America not quite taking action yet, but, you know, promising action. So it's, this, it's very much this, these Anglophone, um, you know, the Five Eyes kind of group who seem to be leading the pack uh, on, on this direct action uh, on Hong Kong. Um, 
why is that do you think um, what, well, what do you I, make of that uh, and uh, again you know what are your thoughts on a lot of people who are talking about things like wolf diplomacy and and so on that china is uh, as you say facing kind of uh, opposition uh, friction uh, on, on all fronts what's going on there do you think well i think as far as the um uh, offering of privileges uh, for foreign passports are concerned, uh, I think it's understandable because the West uh, wants to um, it, it, it this um, uh, f- uh, protection of freedoms uh, is, 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 is in their DNA, and no Western democracy um, can just stand by and say, especially those who are involved in Hong Kong, um, can and can stand by and do nothing. Um, so that's one side of the picture. The other side of the picture, offering uh, passports is, is a is it's a brilliant idea as far as they are concerned. Because look at the, what type of people will be going uh, to the United Kingdom, for example. Um, and, and, uh, and, of course, the example of the Canadian passports, which I mentioned before, is also instructive. Uh, you, you have more and more uh, educated um, young people, and most of these people are, uh, are not exactly poor. Uh, in fact, in terms of a disposable income, um, uh, Hong Kong is one of the, uh, the, the places where there is uh, almost about half a million people with net worth of more than a million uh, U.S. dollars. So, uh, obviously, they're going to bring money, they're going to bring um, knowledge, uh, and then at the end of the day, most of them are unlikely to remain there forever. But look at, um, at Canada, people with, with Canadian passports, 300,000 people have chosen to, go, to move back to Hong Kong to live. Um, so I think that more countries are seeing that there is um, uh, advantages um, on both sides. Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, if they, if they go back to Hong Kong, um, it doesn't mean that they would um, 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 not be patriotic even. Uh, people who have put dual passports have a deep sense of um, 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 uh, uh, love for their own country, but not for everyone, I understand. Uh, but, but I think that that's Hong Kong. Hong Kong is a place where uh, people, some of them have got foreign passports, some of them from different places, some of them have different experiences. As I said, you've got to look, you take a big picture uh, kind of view as, on what is going on in Hong Kong. Um, now, as far as China is concerned, um, so people, uh, there were some remarks saying, why is China so insecure? I think this is also understandable. Previously, uh, China was rather uh, weak economically, uh, and, and in terms of the GDP, there's only a small, fr- uh, a, a small percentages. Um, but now China is now the second largest economy. And not only that, China is right in the heart of a global supply and value chain. And what is more, uh, a lot more countries... Uh, depend on China uh, for trade and, and investment. In fact, China has, uh, uh, is, is the biggest um, uh, trading partner with many more countries compared with the United States. Uh, so I think, and also, China is now no longer producing T-shirts and Nike shoes. It's now producing high-tech uh, kind of uh, products, uh, and also in terms of 5G, even threatens uh, the dominance. So China is perceived to be eating um, uh, um, uh, Americans' lunch uh, in terms of the uh, uh, sphere of influence um, in the South China Sea, for example. Uh, a lot of the uh, Chinese ASEAN countries don't want to be, um, they don't want to, be, to succumb to the influence of Beijing, but neither do they want to be forced to take sides 
So I think you, you've got to have a very um, interesting scenario uh, where there's um, a kind of the two forces, uh, the United States and, and, and China, vying for influence. Okay. And Hong Kong is right at the heart of it. And that's why Hong Kong is getting one more, more, much more interesting, sure. even more interesting for journalists. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the geopolitics is, inter- is uh, kind of a separate uh, overlapping topic. Maybe we'll, one we'll approach another day. Uh, back to kind of uh, Hong Kong uh, issues. Uh, here's an email from Peter. Uh, who says, uh, as your guest Sharon Fast is complaining about the NSL, uh, saying it's curtailing press freedom, which so far did not happen, could you please ask her to define what actually is a reporter in Hong Kong and what about their standards and accreditation? Judging by the actions on behaviour on display over the past year, most, most Hong Kong journalists have lost all standards. They don't understand principles and standards for factual reporting, nor do they know how press conferences work, let alone having basic courtesy. They choose to become tools of the anti-government protesters and rioters and they don't mind this is exposed for everyone to see live on TV. Many reporters are activists themselves, having their own agenda abusing their status and gatekeeping positions. Parroting every statement from the protesters side or pan-democrats, unverified. Reporting them as facts and even blatantly faking stories creating outright propaganda. Previously Hong Kong journalists have been caught on tape attacking other journalists, especially from mainland China. RTHK reporters were caught asking mainland journalists to delete files from their phones. Hong Kong journalists claim press freedom for themselves but denying it to those who don't share the same views and it is obvious that the HKJA condones this. They don't even react when TVB reporters got attacked in the past. A 12-year-old child getting accredited as journalist and HKJA and so-called professionals are defending them. What a joke. It's time the HKJA and professional journals define their profession, qualifications and standards, shed their activism and political agendas. That's from Peter. A lot of comments on our our Facebook page as well. Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Several of them very critical about our guest, Andrew Leung. Um, Adam saying, what version of Hong Kong is this guy living in? Has he not seen how quick things have changed in the past 10 years? Your guest, Andrew, fails to see the broad nature of the law, the ambiguity of what could be an offence, and the mixed messages from the government is leading to white terror. His, references of, his referencing of Casablanca shows that we have lost freedom here. This is not the start of a beautiful friendship. And the call for independence only grew stronger when the national security law was first talked about. Also on our Facebook page, TC saying your guest Andrew Lung made an incorrect analogy about Catalonia. In Spain, it's legal to advocate Catalonia independence or wave a Catalonia independence flag in public. Anyone who attends a Catalonia independence rally outside Spain won't get arrested when they enter Spain. The Spanish government were arresting Catalonian leaders who used government resources to hold an independence referendum. Don't confuse these ideas to justify Article 38 of the national security law. Um, and I must add that um, that's also uh, my understanding. Um, and indeed, we had Professor Carol Peterson on back chat, who was also referring to this, my understanding of the situation in Catalonia, that people were not arrested for advocating Catalonian independence. They were arrested for um, organising a referendum in connection with it. Um, uh, Andrew Lung, would you like to respond to these comments? Sorry, can, can Hugh, you've got no in, one. Yeah, yes. let me just put in a couple more emails as well. There is actually one from Carol yeah, Peterson. Well, well, hey, well, wait, 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 Andrew, hang just, on. We will come back to you. There's, a, there's also an email from Carol Peterson who says, uh, this is on the booksellers, who says, your guests seem to dodge your question about the booksellers. It's an important question because Article 55 of the new NSL would appear to provide a legal mechanism for what was done to Li Bo. In what way was he threatening the national security or territorial integrity of the People's Republic of China? If he was grabbed simply because the books he was publishing were embarrassing to Xi, then how do we know that the central government will not use Article 55 to take more and more such people across the 
border for trials that do not meet the standards of the ICCPR. And Andrew Kay says, I think Hong Kong Press have clearly demonstrated the last year that their standards are as low as they can go. Even RTHK rarely questions guests when they make outrageous and unsubstantiated uh, statements. That's from, from Andrew Kay. Uh, Andrew, Andrew Lung, would you like to respond to the yeah, comments? Yeah, yeah, as far as, could, uh, as I said uh, right in the beginning, uh, I'm not saying China's perfect. <laughs> by no means, um, and uh, and I think that the, the, that some of the worries um, uh, about um, Beijing and also China are legitimate. Um, as I said at the beginning, it's uh, really a great deal depends on uh, how the, the, the laws are being implemented. As far as Catalonia is concerned, there's, there's no question that uh, the Spanish government um, uh, criminalizes uh, this independence movement. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put into uh, the leaders of this movement uh, popularly elected uh, into jail. But how about uh, the point they, they, they're, they're not, the not criminalized for what they say? Yeah. They, they, they can stand up and say Catalonian independence. If you do that in Hong Kong, that people happened last week. People who did that last week who peacefully took, um, referring to Hong Kong independence got arrested by the police. And what our uh, guest is saying, and Professor Carol Peterson said, is also my understanding of the situation. That would not happen in Catalonia or indeed in most other places in the world. Well, I, I, I think it's not as if people saying or, or waving a, a flag. Now, uh, uh, I, I know uh, this girl who displayed um, an independence flag yeah. uh, was being arrested. It depends yeah. on how this is being tried, because um, uh, as I said, a lot, a great deal depends uh, on uh, how the law is being implemented. Um, it's only the beginning. Uh, but my point is that um, no country can, can uh, condone um, all this kind of um, uh, demands for uh, and also uh, organized uh, activities for independence or separatism. Um, and, 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 and particularly at the time that uh, Beijing is feeling this 360 degrees push back against um, um, uh, China. Um, so, I, 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 and, and I just repeat my point that you've got to take an, uh, a, a, the big picture uh, before just jumping into conclusions. Um, I'm not trying to defend um, uh, some of the practices, you know, sort of coming from um, or, or inside China. But I think as far as this law is concerned, uh, I can understand why this is uh, done now, why that there are safeguards needed. It's because over 23 years, um, the, the loophole has become larger and larger. It's now being seen to be weaponized. What? So I think that... Um, 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 that's my answer to that. What, what about Professor Carol Peterson's point that you dodged the issue of the Causeway Bay booksellers and that um, under this law, that, that what, what happened to them would now, would, would now be covered by this law? You mean the bookseller case? Yes, the bookseller case. Well, I mean, that, that, that is um, more internal um, um, uh, politics in China, I think. Um, well, they were in Hong Kong. Uh, One yeah, of them was I in know. Hong Kong um, and disappeared that, from but, Hong but Kong. But I think it's not as if there are books you know, all books are banned. And even today, uh, you would go to some of these um, um, bookstores, you know, in Central, uh, along the streets, you can still find a lot of books um, about the politics in China. But there are some, some, some of these stuff um, which can cause concern. Um, but I think that this is an isolated case. Um, as I said, I mean, um, well, this uh, black chess show is still going on, and a lot of articles in the South China Morning Post are not entirely pro-Beijing. Um, and, and you can see that even the um, um, the Oriental Daily um, also is full of um, uh, articles um, uh, against Beijing. Um, so I think that um, at the end of the day, you know, Beijing really wants one country to succeed. But this is a, as I said right at the start, it's a system, seismic shock 
to what uh, we see Hong Kong, you know, for the past 23 years. Um, and you can understand why Beijing is doing it. And, and I think that this um, uh, uh, really um, uh, demands a, a deeper understanding what one country, two systems is all about. It's not just about the two, two systems, pushing the one country, marginalizing the one country, uh, hollow, hollowing the, the sense of nationhood of one country, and also um, allowing forces to weaponize this, uh, all these freedoms uh, to threaten uh, Beijing's a sense of national security. Okay. I think that's what's all about. Okay, Andrew Lynn, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Just one more comment from, from uh, Facebook. Uh, uh, on the question of uh, civil service oaths, I think there, uh, Darren says, all countries have their way of dealing with keeping the country safe. In the UK, civil servants do not have to swear allegiance, but they are bound by the Official Secrets Act. Uh, employees and ex-employees of the security services, civil servants, cops, judges, members of the armed forces and government contractors are among those subject to the Official Secrets Act. It's not necessary for a person to assign the act in order to be bound by it, and government employees are usually informed they are subject to it uh, in their contracts. And that applies to Hong Kong civil servants as well. Uh, TC says there's a difference between country and party. There's also a difference between keeping the country safe and keeping the governing party safe from a transfer of power. Thank you very much. So, Hugh, when are the staff at RTHK going to be taking their new oaths? Uh, <laughs> I've no idea. I, I, I've no. I don't know if we considered. It hasn't been mentioned in the initial. I mean, it's meant to apply to all civil servants at some stage, but um, um, RTHK hasn't been mentioned in the initial prior. What they call the priority I, list. I have no, uh, is that true? Is yeah, it mentions directorate officers, uh, um, GIS, and so on. I, I, uh, legal. I, I, just going by what the press reports I've seen, it said a swear allegiance to Hong Kong and the Basic Law. Yeah, I don't think I can't imagine a civil service civil servant would have any problem with that. Frankly. Would, I mean, you'd assume that they'd be, they'd uphold the basic law and swear allegiance to Hong Kong, wouldn't you? I don't oh, know. You should get someone from the staff union on. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, so, well, it strikes me. Anyway, uh, um, that's it from uh, the programme today. Thank you very much indeed for, for your, all your emails. We were worried that there might be some fewer, but they. See, that, even on Facebook, where you have to show your identity as well. Yeah, as I say, you can always use anonymous emails. And uh, we will uh, also, um, yeah, we'll only keep those emails. Uh, as far to the best of my ability on our surface for, for a, a week or so. Uh, in the meantime, Andrew Long, thank you very much indeed for joining us, international and independent China strategist, former Director General of uh, Social Welfare, back at uh, 8.30 on Monday. The weather, mainly cloudy and hot with sunny periods, temperatures up to about 32 degrees in the urban areas and the outlook mainly fine, apart from some isolated showers in the next few days. Very hot at the weekend, 30 degrees now. Humidity is at 75%. To prevent the spread of COVID-19, try flexible working hours and staggered meal breaks. Wear a mask on public transport. Avoid crowded lifts. Try not to hold large meetings and reduce face-to-face -face contact with colleagues. Avoid meal gatherings. Stay away from crowds after work. Wash hands frequently and keep the workplace clean. If you feel unwell, stay away from work and see your doctor. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. 9.35, the news now with Samantha Butler. A prominent virologist says the government must be vigorous to try to contain a local outbreak of the coronavirus as fast as possible. Malik Peris from the